You're listening to the Cars of Carlisle Network, podcast episode number 88. John Trubin, Trubin Motor Company, Porsche aficionado. Cars of Carlisle is your favorite internationally downloaded podcast about all things automotive. Darren and his CFC team are ever searching for interesting automotive happenings, real stories about real car people, and fun features to inform and entertain you. Each week, the Cars of Carlisle crew brings you show topics ranging from car shows to team adventures to auto racing weekends to behind-the-scenes human interest stories from car nuts that live across town, across the country, or even across the globe. Come join the road trip. Today, ride along to Winchester, Virginia to meet John Trubin, proprietor and founder of Trubin Motor Company, specializing in buying and selling fine vehicles. Notably, John and his team research, procure, collect, and sell Porsches from their Northern Virginia headquarters. With focus on Stuttgart, Mark, the Trubin family has amassed a stunning collection of air and water-cooled Teutonic beauties. Let's road trip down Interstate 81, south to Frederick County, Virginia, and surround ourselves in rear-engine German engineering. So, let's get revved up! Hello and welcome back, viewers, to your favorite informative automotive podcast. I am your trusted host, Darren, and happy 2020. This is the first full episode of the new year. We're very excited here at uh, Cars of Carlisle. In fact, we've been planning out the new year, making lots of uh, plans and, and getting ready for all the travel and the things we're going to do and see and the people we're going to talk to, educational, informational, and just all around fun things that will be coming your way in the next 51 weeks. So stay tuned, stay buckled up, and join us on that weekly road trip. Just a good way to kind of break away from life and enjoy uh, a little bit of distraction and diversion. We are there for you. If you like what you hear, be sure to share, rate, review, subscribe. By subscribing, you're sure to be able to get the latest whenever we go ahead and publish each and every week. It'll be there automatically in your queue. No need for you to do anything. It makes it real easy, it's free, and it helps us out a lot as we grow. It uh, just makes us a little bit stronger and we can continue to uh, bring you new and, and even bigger, greater opportunities. So we spent some time with John Trubin. What a great time we had. In fact, the building itself is set up like a dealership and you walk through all of the amazing Porsches. If you would, go out to the Instagram. Scott will be posting out some gorgeous photos of uh, the day that we were there. Just the, uh, the, the cars themselves are phenomenal. So let's go ahead and go to Winchester now. We'll take it right to the interview. And this one's a little longer than normal, but I'm telling you, stick with it because it is extremely interesting. Some of the things that uh, John shares with how he started his business and just uh, with the vehicles he buys and sells, as well as the amazing Porsches he's collected for himself, you will definitely be intrigued. So enjoy the ride. We'll talk to you at the end of the episode. Oh, one more thing. You guys would like to probably hear John's personal Porsche GT2 RS. He did a cold engine start that day, and uh, we got a recording of it. So we're going to go to that next, and it'll just roll right into the interview. Hello, 
YouTubers, we are here in Winchester, Virginia, and it is a Saturday morning, a cold Saturday morning, and I'm here in Trubin Motor Company, and uh, John Trubin has opened the door a little bit early. They're having a Cars and Coffee here. It's third Saturday of every month, right, John? That's correct. Well, we are appreciative that you're giving us some time the Saturday before Christmas, and this is an amazing, we're in a, essentially an indoor showroom here, um, and I'm surrounded in Maseratis and Porsches, and it's... Uh, I mean, just the fact that I can't take my eyes off the GT2 RS, I mean, that's what an amazing car. And I was just saying how Le Mans is my absolute favorite race. Um, haven't been, but my goodness, just the fact that they make uh, bespoke and, and purpose-built vehicles just for that race alone. It's, it's an OEM manufacturer battleground, essentially. Yes, it is. It's an incredible race. Well, talk to me, if you will, John, about uh, a little bit about you, your story, your background, the dream. Well, how did this all come to be around us here? Sure. Well... I've grown up in Winchester, Virginia my whole life, uh, born 1980, so not super old, but old enough. And growing up, was around cars a little bit. We weren't a big car family. Uh, my parents, they grew up Shenandoah County, south of here, Woodstock, Virginia, and so forth. You know, they were farmers, regular means, so we didn't grow up with Porsches and Ferraris and all this kind of stuff. Uh, my father, his family, they all work very hard, veterinarians, everybody else, my, my immediate family are all attorneys. I'm the, <laughs> I was an accountant for two years. I got an accounting degree was my background. Okay. Did accounting for a couple of years. And uh, when I was in high school, I worked, I got a job detailing cars at the local Honda Volkswagen dealership here, Miller, Miller Auto Group in Winchester. And I worked detailing cars. And did that in the summer. It's hot. It's hard work, but it was fun. I was a kid, so what do I know? I'm making money and it was fine. And so I had interest in cars. When I was a teenager, probably I was under 15, but 14, 15 years old, my father, we finally, he finally got enough urge to, to buy a 911. And this would have been early, mid-90s. Bought an 86 Guards Red Targa. Mm. Classic. Black interior. Paid under twenty grand for it. Had about sixty thousand miles on it. Paid like nineteen something for it. Had a BB shot in the windshield. That's the one thing I remember. <laughs> but and and that was our first, you know, to us that was the biggest thing in the world. You know, mm -hmm. we had a guards red and I I would detail that thing till sun went down. And we'd drive it. We'd go on so many drives, back roads all through the valley. And uh, father, it was our father-son thing. Mm -hmm. it, I mean, it was weekly for years. Mm -hmm. And I was a good enough kid, behaved myself. I was an Eagle Scout and all that good stuff. My father, he, I learned to drive a manual transmission on that car. Wow. He let me drive the thing by myself. Just go. Yeah. yeah. And never got in trouble, never did anything crazy. And I'd go for ride. I'd drive it in the back country roads, and I'd, I was going the speed limit, maybe a little bit over. But I was not some crazy kid going 100 miles an hour trying to kill myself. So that that was my first, you know, great experience, wonderful memory still to this day. I mean, my father involved with this dealership in some ways. And uh, after that, graduated high school, went off to college, went to James Madison University, Got an accounting degree, came back, did accounting for two years. And after that, but I knew I wasn't going to be an accountant. Tax seasons were mm -hmm. not the 
greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And, and I'm not a boring desk job type guy. So I knew I wanted to do more. Well, I basically got back into the dealership group, went back into it, and came in as a – started out as a human resource administrator. So I had about 220 people in their auto group from West Virginia and Virginia and worked with them on that for about two years. And then I basically – the owner of the auto group, George Miller, who since passed a couple years ago, uh, he then moved me around in the auto group teaching me every department. So he was, he was my first mentor mm -hmm. in the business. Mm -hmm. And I went to West Virginia. I worked as a service advisor. I worked in the parts department. I went through the body shop. I changed oil for a week. I, <laughs> I, then I came back. I worked as an assistant service manager here in Winchester at the Honda VW dealership. Did, you know, business development, internet sales. Mm -hmm. Then was a sales department. Eventually made it up. I was, I was a sales manager for Honda Volkswagen. And then at that point... Met my wife while I was working there. Mm -hmm. Got married. Four kids. Two, you know, mm -hmm. life keeps moving. Sure. And uh, decided the two of us. She was an F and I title. She was title person for twenty years now. Oh, wow. Okay. Going on. So between the two of us, we had just about all the knowledge you'd want to have to go open up a business. Like it's meant to be. So we decide. You know what? We're gonna. This weekend stuff and working twelve hour days. Car business is tough. Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. a great world to be in mm -hmm. for families, I should say. Mm -hmm. And we said, you know, let's go do our thing, deliver a customer experience that people will be amazed with and and do it right. Now I'll flash back to when we had that Guards Red eighty six Targa. We then began a relationship with Weldon Scroggum, G&W Motor Works down in Waynesboro, Virginia. He was in Fishersville time. Big Porsche guy, judges at Amelia Island, oh, judges, wow. I mean, he's mm -hmm. he's at the top. Sell, sure. Sells cars to Jerry Seinfeld type stuff. Okay. Well, he became my second mentor. He was my mentor in this Porsche world. Okay. And he's about 80 years old now. Great guy. His, him and his wife, Phyllis. And he would have race cars. He, I remember at that time, you'd go in his showroom, he'd have 550 Spider, 3904s, mm -hmm. just Some four cam cars, yeah. all, all kinds of stuff. Right. And I would, he, he, well, you know, sit in that, see what you think, you know, kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm a, I'm a 16 year old kid. Um, of course, this is back when these cars were worth 300 grand as opposed to three million. Sure, yeah. sure. So it was different, but it was fun. He, he put me in a car. He put me in a 911 and say, drive this car up to the tire shop up the street. I need you to get tired. I mean, when I would take a car there, because I'd, I'd be there a couple hours. And so he just put me a car and sent me off somewhere, because he knew I worked at dealerships mm -hmm. and stuff. So he, he trusted me, and, and we had great times there. So his business model was similar to this, where it was an all-indoor showroom, sure. all the cars, nice, quality driver cars but more collectible mm -hmm. than anything i mean people were driving these 904s but mm -hmm. a lot of them now they're sitting in a bubble somewhere right so it, it was this style nice all the signage mm -hmm. little parts just the cool artifacts that people like to see 
And so that kind of sparked the idea. Charlene and I, then in 2000, May of 2011, we opened this up. And of course, there's, you know, opening up a dealership in the state of Virginia, there's a lot of hoops and loops and mm -hmm. rings of fire you have to jump through <laughs> to, to get it done. And you, know, you go go dealer operator school. So there's the whole business aspect of it. And, and it's, there's a lot of red tape involved. I'm sure. But you get through it and you have fun. If you love cars, it's, it's great. It, you're around them every day. Mm -hmm. Car business is still the car business. There's some days you want to throw a wrench across the room and <laughs> other days you're happy to be alive doing it. Sure. So since 2011, we started off this showroom was an old furniture store. Okay. Solid Woods Furniture. Okay. And they had this and actually over against the wall you see these two steel garage door looking things mm -hmm. they actually opened up the whole rest of this built going that way was all furniture nope. it was all wooden furniture okay. where we are was all soft goods as it called it was all sofas sure and uh, things like that and he basically was on his way retiring he'd been here for shoot 20 years and it was hard to find it's hard to find a zoned location that doesn't have posts and be you know you put cars in yeah right and so this worked out carpet we haven't we didn't do a thing walls were painted like this car this same carpet no everything mm -hmm. we didn't change a thing wow. so it looked nice and we just ran with it mm -hmm. and all we had to do was cut an opening to the back area the garage door was already there to bring in furniture we just had to cut a bigger opening to get cars out that way sure and it worked we started off, we had like three cars. <laughs> so this, this showroom, it's about, total property about 7,000 square feet. I'd say the showroom's 6,000, something like that. And we had three measly, you know, no furniture, <laughs> no signs, nothing on the walls, nothing. Yeah. Just three cars <laughs> sitting in here. And I believe the first was a, it was a Arctic Silver 98 C4 cab had like 14,000 miles on okay. it. It was a great car. Yeah. And Every laser nice regardless. Yeah, sold it. First car, I think it was the first car we ever sold. Okay. Went to Germany. No kidding. And I will tell you, from then on, up until about two years ago, over half our sales were Europe. You'd be surprised, but that's what it was. Now, did with you, Porsche. Was there something that you were able to do to Did network? nothing. I just literally, we would buy, people ask, you know, what do you do? Honestly, we, we buy, buy cars. The hard part of the business is obviously finding the cars. Yeah. Uh, if you can find the cars, buy them right, uh, you know, obviously you can't buy, hide, sell low. That doesn't work out yeah, well for it's long. It's not a good business model. So that. you have to find the right car. And a lot of times you find them through relationships. As time builds on, you, you start finding them through friends and mm -hmm. customers, clients. But early on, a lot of the inventory you find just like anybody else. You mm -hmm. got to get on the internet, mm -hmm. find it, mm -hmm. research it, mm -hmm. talk to somebody, send somebody to go look at it, kind of stuff. And we would sell them. And these cars, you know, we buy them. You put them on Hemmings. Sure. You put them on Porsche Club website. You know, they don't take business stuff anymore. But you just put them out there wherever. Mm -hmm. And Cars.com, Auto Trader. And honestly, Hemmings 
for what we sell because most of our cars are air-cooled engine cars or older 98 and back yeah and most of them you know Hemming's always worked the best for us Mm -hmm. and price wise you could put on there take great photos you know you gotta take 35 40 photos whatever Mm -hmm. you can fit on there Mm -hmm. we take them out we you know what we did great as my wife does photography a lot you know so she she does stuff she's contributor for our porsche club magazine in the potomac region does she likes doing that stuff mm-hmm. so we early on you know a lot one of, of those too there you go it's a <laughs> it's a great asset to have yeah is if you've got a great eye for things we would stage our cars we would take them out somewhere beautiful sure stone walls you know difference. barns if you take great photos yes. d- people will yes they will Go to your vehicle. Yes. And we would take photos of car. I mean, honestly, we could sign a car. I'm thinking of this. Uh, we had a Packard limousine, a 47 Packard limousine once. And I'm not a Packard person. I didn't know anything about that. But they were they were a local consignment. We, we try to help out everybody local who's sure. got a consignment car. So usually somebody's passed away or something. We're trying to help them out. And, you know, this car was okay, but it wasn't some pebble beach car I mean, <laughs> but you know what we took that car took it over here to museum in the shindo valley staged it around this beautiful setting with a barn and a cool rock fence thing going on sure we put that thing on hemmings and the thing <laughs> had like six thousand views ended up on their home page within wow. like a week and i'm like of all the cars <laughs> i can't get a porsche right. to get more than a couple hundred views right and this darn packer you know but but all because of the photos. Yeah. And so there's my wife coming in right now, Charlene. And, uh, you know, it's just, that's the way it works. You just, there's no rhyme or reason to any Mm -hmm. of it. Some things just connect with the the car audience and some things it's just a niche. I love it. Right. But I'm the only one in the world that loves it's it. It's so funny you said about that Packard limo because you just never know what's going to resonate. You just never know. Wow. And, you know, we, we do well. Of course, 80-plus percent of our business is Porsche. Mm-hmm. That's our background, our expertise, sure. our client base. But we've sold every darn thing you think of, everything from a 1921 Dodge Brothers mm. to a 31 Buick Phaeton. Oh, my. Beautiful car. And uh, sold in one day on Hemmings, collector out of Colorado. Wow. Had a whole collection of pre-war Buicks. Probably never had a chance so, to detail it and bring it here in no, the showroom. And so that's the thing is, of these cars with internet, my mentor, Weldon, he grew up, I mean, he was doing it since the late 50s. Pre-internet, mm-hmm. you had to travel to the shows, you sure. had to be in the club, you had to have the connections, or you weren't going to have the parts, you weren't going to be able to fix it. I mean, who, who, how many people could fix a 4 cam 356 no. 40 years ago? I mean, you had to find the guy, and he was somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Right. And now with the Internet, heck, you'd watch a YouTube video and figure out how to work on an Enzo. I mean, it's, right. it's like none of it, it is hard to find. The point of entry is very different. Now. It's different. Yeah. And so anybody can find out anything they want about any of these cars mm-hmm. and – and that's good. It, from a dealer's perspective, it definitely levels the playing field. It definitely makes everybody have a chance in the world. But you know what? Now there's a thousand people like that's me the out there doing the this. Yeah, exactly. So 80% of our business Porsche, over half of it 
you put on there over two years ago with the exchange rates and the way the market was I would have two or three times a year I'd have European wholesalers buyers come in this dealership looking at cars and they would buy they'd come to America they'd buy 200 cars sure put them on a boat take them back to Europe yep. sell them to various dealers you know, I, I'll take this 89 Guards Red Targus sitting here right now. It's got 29,000 miles on it. So it's a great car, hard car to find. That car, seven, eight years ago, they would pay 45, 50 grand for that car. Great value even back then. Now that car's 70,000, say. But they would buy that car for $40,000. They'd take it to Europe. They could sell that car for 80 grand. So they, they could come over here and make a killing. Sure. And I, I see that up in Carlisle a lot. Yes. And so it's a worldwide market. Well, I'd say about two years ago, I joke with Peter. I, I, Peter Gardner, my, my German uh, co-worker here, <laughs> who I, I met in the car business years ago and through church, we, we grew to know each other very well. Mm -hmm. And it's great to have a guy with a German accent answering oh, the phones yeah. for you. And, yeah. He was a Mercedes guy. He worked for Mercedes Financial in the office of the president, of all oh. things. He knows his Mercedes, well, he was so it's a great asset. He spent, I mean, he lived in, near Stuttgart. Yeah, so. he, he knows his German automobiles. Mm -hmm. And so it made sense. I hire him. He works here three days a week. And, uh, you know, Monday, or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And he has a great knowledge base on those things and great with customers. And... He basically, two years ago, I joked with him because I said, you know, Peter, as soon as I hired you, the European phone stopped ringing. <laughs> and basically what happened was is the market changed, the exchange rates, their economies over there have kind of fallen a little bit, leveled off. You got a little bit more turmoil in Europe. Mm. And so it's just the market's not there. It's mm. gone. Mm. Spigot turned off. Mm. So U.S. buyers are still buying somewhat. Porsche market currently, a little soft. It's not horrible. Yeah. Porsches always are a, a blue chip car. They never are worth nothing. Right. And you never really lose money. It's just a question of how many buyers are calling at any given time. So, okay, instead of getting 10 leads, you get five. Sure. So it, it, that's all it is. But they're still out there, have a great following. I got involved. I mean, I'm coming up on 20 years in the Porsche Club. Uh, Potomac Porsche region here to D.C. runs basically all the way from West Virginia to the ocean. Okay. So it's it's Potomac region is typically the largest Porsche Club region in North America, United States. Upper Canada region technically beats us out because they're half of Canada. Well, yeah. But so people-wise, they, they got a couple more members. But... Potomac's great region. Summit Point Raceway not being right. far from us yeah. makes us a a very attractive region for a lot of racers. Do you ever do track time yourself? I've done some track time. I'm not a big track guy just simply because I got more into the detailing concourse end of it. Mm. And, of course, as a dealer, well, that's a money pit. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So you look at... You look at racing and you're like, oh, man, why do I want to race? I, I'd take cars over there. It's like, okay, there goes my tires. There go my brakes. There go, yeah, yeah. you know, some heating. Something else always breaks or something, you know, yeah, something yeah. wears out. Yeah. And 
you know, I'd go over there. I'm just like, man, it's hot. It's hot and it's hot. And I'm stuck in this helmet and I can't half breathe. And, you know, I like just driving on the weekend. I, I decided, you know what, I'm a weekend driver in the country. Sure. And and I like detailing cars, cleaning cars. And I'm, I get into the history of cars. Yeah. So I get Providence, cars yeah. and I'll, I'll spend five years researching a car. Mm-hmm. And, and getting into the weeds on it. So I just decided that's more my thing. I got involved in the Concord group with Potomac mm-hmm. and became the Concord chairman about three years ago for Potomac Region. Wow. And, and through the years, my wife and I, you know, we liked showing cars. So mm-hmm. we've had cars that we've showed at Hilton Head, Pinehurst when that was going on, Greenwich, Cincinnati and at St. John's used to be Meadowbrook. You've hit them all. Pretty much everything east of the Mississippi River, mm-hmm. most of the big shows. Hadn't shown at Amelia Island just because I just don't have any, you know, they're a big show. I just, yeah. we, we've gone, you know, a good dozen times, but just you got to have a real deal pre 72 sure. type car. Well, sure. those cars are all million dollar plus yeah. cars. Oh yeah. One day when I'm a little bit older, you know, half the stuff in our showroom will probably be at Amelia Island, but great great show, huge show. But other than that, we've pretty much showed at all those other events. Okay. And they're fun. They're nerve-wracking. I initially set off just to do it for fun. I was it's kind of like I tell people it's kind of like the Academy Awards. I mean, heck, you're just happy to be picked to go. You know, it's it's just an honor to be able to take your vehicle and show it and be at the table. And like, if you win something, (laughs) that's 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 the bonus on top. But you you're like, there's no way I'm going to win. That's a good approach. And you know, sometimes we win we win something, but most of the time you don't (laughs) because honestly, there's always you know it's like everywhere in a car there's always somebody with more money there's always yep. somebody with the bigger car yep. the rarer car the more special car mm-hmm. who's worked harder and they've owned it for longer than i've been alive sure. and so that's great they should win that's right and so you meet great people you have lots of fun we we take our kids with us so it, i'd laugh we we normally were the, by far the youngest people there mm-hmm. and uh but you just meet really nice people. Mm-hmm. They're all nice mm-hmm. people. The competition, you know, they're there to win too. It's civil. But nobody's, you know, walking behind your back and <laughs> throwing an egg at your car kind right, of thing. Right, I right. mean, they're all there. So trash they want to learn about your car too, and they think your car is great also. Right, so right. it's fun. It's good but, culture. And I would come home, and I'd write articles for our Porsche Club magazine. So I was nice. a contributor writer, write articles for it. And so forth, and you know, and then there's the whole aspect of going to the the auctions. You know, most of these big events, you've got the Gooding and the RMs and the RM Sotheby's. You've got the uh, all the different variety of auctions, and we've attended most of them, if not all of them, at some point. We've bought it most of them, and we've sold it most of them. Mm-hmm. And those big auctions, you know, they're they're great entertainment. Yeah. They're great to watch. They're a great place. I tell people, you want a good enterti- entertainment time and you want to see a wide variety of cars, mm-hmm. go to it. It's mm-hmm. worth the price of admission mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're better to go to than the show itself. That's right. Um, 
And so I always recommend, especially to Amelia Island, I mean, that's, that's where the fun's at. The show is great, but you're never going to buy any of these cars. Yeah. You're never going to afford any of them. You, you, it, you might see them in half the cars you've never heard of anyway. Sure. So go to, go to the auctions. It's, it's fun. And, you know, but from selling at them, I tell people, you know, look, you could sell at these auctions and we've sold at Gooding. We've sold, I had a buddy of mine who would go to Monterey and would take like 50 cars to wow. Meekums. He had a good relationship with Meekums because he was selling a variety of stuff. Mm-hmm. Most of our stuff. And I sent a, a 64 SC cab and a 65 Honda S600. Wow. Out there. Sold the Honda S600, got close on the SC cab, brought it all the way back. Now, that's $3,000 of shipping here, people. I was going to say. Each way. Yeah, yeah. Bought it back, sold it the next week to somebody that saw it <laughs> on the thing. Out of Europe, though. Okay. Made the same amount of money. So, it's, it's bizarre. You just don't know how it's going to You work. just don't know how it's going to go. Yeah. And the great thing, you know, they all have their pluses and minuses. Meekums is a volume, you know, a little bit more volume selling. They mm-hmm. they get they're more into the TV, sure. entertainment side of it. Yeah, and you definitely got to do your research for sure if you're buying. But if you're selling, I usually tell you know the great thing about them is they'll allow you to put a reserve on your car. Mm-hmm. Okay, so they give you some protection. Mm-hmm. Gooding and RM and you know Bonhams, a lot of the the high end mm-hmm. auctions. They're not going to give you a reserve unless your car is well into the over three hundred grand. Sure. At Monterey, I mean, your car's got to be like over a million dollars to get a sure. reserve put on it. So it's high risk. So you better be in that car right. And usually, I tell people because we'll get estates. People, you know, somebody passed away and they got five or six cars, and some of them will be some hundred thousand dollar plus cars. And I will tell the family, you know, look, they're not the right venue for you unless you want a definite sale date, mm-hmm. it's going to happen, mm-hmm. whether you like it or not, mm-hmm. and it's going to sell, yep. unless you are comfortable in the market with that car and you're in it right. If, if, if granddad bought that car for $3,000 and it's worth $300,000 now, you can sell it and you'll be happy because even if you only get two fifty, you came out a winner. Sure, sure. But if you bought that car five years ago and you paid three hundred dollars for it and it might be worth three twenty-five, dollars mm. it makes absolutely no sense because you're going to pay their commissions, you're going to pay That's to ship right. it, you're paying ad That's fees right. and all that good stuff. That's good advice. And you're just you're never going to come out ahead. Right. It, you're lucky you'll break even. Right. Most of the times, I'd say if I averaged every car I ever sold at auction, I can honestly say I probably averaged out even. I probably didn't make money. I didn't lose money. Mm-hmm. But if anything, I can't, you know, 10 cars or whatever, I made $1,000. I mean, it's, it just sells. It moves things on. Sure. And so that's what's good about them. The, the high end, you know, if you got the million-dollar-plus car, it makes sense a lot of times simply because you're going to get that worldwide audience and they're going to push that car, then that's a good opportunity for them. Mm-hmm. But at the, at the same time, though, a lot of those cars, you don't need the auction. No. You, you have five people give you an offer on it the next day. Yes. So they're good entertainment. They're good education. Well, I've learned, actually, I've been to, and I understand uh, car auctions, but just talking with you, I've, I've learned a lot, and that's what I'm hoping yeah, that some of my, my listeners will gather, too. The, the auctions, 
they're great people. They're in the business to sell cars. Businesses are there to make they're money. They're make their money. Yeah. They also, I tell people from the buyer's perspective, I mean, I could sit here in my armchair and I can look at an auction catalog and I will flat out tell you, sometimes I look at some of these things and I'm like, I don't know why the auction is allowing the car to be listed that way. You know, sometimes they can get a little loosey-goosey with the facts on, you know, they'll make up a model that never existed <laughs> right. kind of stuff right. just to try to differentiate that sure, car. Sure. And, and if the buyer is knowledgeable, you know, they'll figure it out. The unsuspecting people, you know, can sometimes get caught up in it. And people will play games. I mean, I, I remember being at, I remember being at, at the Amelia Island. And I was at one of the auctions. I won't name it because mm-hmm. it doesn't even really matter what auction it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's an eccentric group of people. We were actually selling a car at this one. We were selling a, 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 a golf oil pace car for a Porsche nice. uh, from 72. And it was golf orange. Long story short, of course, the guy in front of us, he's got a parrot on his shoulder. Okay, these are this is the type of people you got at some of these well, events. Well, you nailed it with the eccentric. You know, you, you've got forget forget the the people with the little poodle lap dog. That's the normal auction. Sure. If you go to the high end auction, that's where you got the guy with the iguana on his shoulder or the parakeet, the albino parrot, and and that kind of stuff, and and buying a you know million dollar nine eleven RS lightweight the third one for the day yeah and and because i just sold my db4 gt or something the other day (laughs) and and that's who's there (laughs) um and they're you know it's funny we walk around that's why i tell people just just walk around and listen to people right look at at the shoes they're wearing you know they're (laughs) they're wearing the 1200 dollar pair of leather racing shoes from italy and it's right it's like i don't even think they race but (laughs) you know so be it they they've got got the credit to buy it um but you, you would go there and the pe- people they these people didn't get money by being stupid uh, you know yeah. some of them yeah. you were given but these aren't dumb that, people you got to keep the money too and you got to keep the money so yeah. they don't blow it right. on dumb stuff right and they know how to work the system so you would sit there and you know they'll run their own cars up you know they, they got a car and it's you know worth a million dollars just say and it's stalled at 500 grand, well, their buddy will simply just start bidding and somebody over here bid and, mm-hmm. you know, they got so much money, heck, they'll buy the car themselves right. back because at least it's sold and they keep the market of, on their car up because, you know, if you have a rare car, you know, say, say it's some, I wouldn't use Ferrari as an example because they they come to auction enough. There's good data, but you get into some some rare British cars and some obscure Italian or French stuff. I mean, they'll there might only be one or two cars that came up in the last ten years, so mm. they don't want their car to to no. not no sale at five hundred grand because how the heck are they ever going to sell it? That will know so the data. Yeah. They'll build their car right up <laughs> and they'll buy their own darn car back for for a million two because at least yeah they'll pay ten percent. But you know what? At least the market held my car. I could sell it a year or two later and still be able to tell, oh, well, it sold for a million two at the auction. That's the difference, it's forward thinking. Exactly. They're looking so beyond today. They are like stockbrokers. Sure, playing the futures. And they play, they they hedge the market up, down, it. and all around. You got it. And so that comes back to what this business is and what we do is, 
you know, people, I tell people, there's car dealers that have conventional businesses with parts and service, and they have the conventional business model, and those margins have thinned so tight. Even when I, I mean, I left new car world 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. 12 years ago, and you'd sell a Honda Accord and make $200. Mm. And people would come in and they would say, oh, I know you guys, you're making 10 grand on that car. And it's like, I'll show you the invoice. That's the fake invoice you show people. You know, they don't believe anything you're saying. You're like, whatever, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. Mm. This is what we said. We're making $200. And they'd walk and they'd go over the mountain. They'd go to D.C. And a D.C. dealer would sell them that same car and lose fifteen hundred grand because they don't. They mm. they're selling hundreds of cars. Volume makes up for it. Lose on this one, make on this one. They average them all out. Small town dealerships, family-owned dealerships, they can't afford to do that. They're going to sell twenty-five cars this month. They got to make money on all of them. That's right. So, this business though, you're basically you're like a stockbroker. These cars you'll buy. Yeah, y'all, you hope you sell them all the next day. Chances are, I mean, I've had cars I've stared at for over a year. You're not buying like a normal dealer and say, okay, I'm going to, what they have is a, a turn uh, amount. You know, I'm going to turn this, I got a 60-day or 90-day turn. If I don't sell this car in 90 days, it's going back to Mannheim or it's mm-hmm. going back to Odessa. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. these cars aren't at Mannheim or Odessa, no. and you're not going to send them to uh, Meekums or Barrett or, or any of those because you'd really lose your butt just for shipping and ad sure. fees and all that stuff, commissions. So you buy it, you're either going to sell it and make a loss or you're going to love that car as if it's your own child <laughs> until it sells one day. Yeah. And you can do that with Porsche. You're a foster and it's, parent. It's okay. That's why I buy this stuff. You know, we don't, a lot of dealerships, they have the floor plan, which means they go to the bank, and the bank loans them hundreds of thousands of dollars to go buy inventory, and they have to pay their interest rate every month on that. This stuff right here is bought. Mm-hmm. We, we, we can't floor plan this stuff, mm. and so you own it. So you better buy something that you love because you, you might own that thing, which I do. You <laughs> right. own it. for the. You might own it the rest of your life if things don't turn out right. Sure. So you better invest your money wisely, and you better know the market. So you sit there every day, and like a stockbroker, every day I'm I'm looking at Hemmings, I'm looking at Haggerty's stuff. I'm looking, reading articles here and there, automotive news. You're watching trends. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you, it works. If you're in it every day, you can start to see the movements in the market mm-hmm. if you are focused on one marquee. Now, if you're trying to sell everything under the sun, you don't have enough time in the day to pay attention to all of it. I couldn't tell you what a Honda Civic from 2011 sure. sells for if my life depended on it right, right now. Right. I could go on Mannheim's auto auction. I can look at MMR and find that out on their system that's for dealers. But I don't know. Well, curiously, John, um in the Porsche market, do you see any correlations with what's happening from everything from election years to economy it, and all It all things? moves in cycles. 2014, 2013 into 2014 and into most of 2015, Porsche market took off like a rocket ship. Mm. Does it about every 15, 20 years. Okay. Okay? And it took off. And I mean, my 72 911S 
sitting up there. It was owned by the president of Porsche Audi North America. It was his executive car. It's wow. a special car. It's a, it's a rare car. In, What's in the a factory lot of, color called? That was emerald green. Kelly Green is also in parentheses on the COA, the Certificate of Authenticity from okay. Porsche. And it was a two-year color, very period, you know, yeah, type sure. color. Right. And so it's it's got a lot of intricate pieces to that car. Okay. It's not your normal 72911S. That car almost tripled in value within a year. That's mm. how rocket ship the market took off. Wow. It's crazy. And some of it was speculative markets. It was the auctions, stuff, stuff all of a sudden. A lot of things were underappreciated. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of times what you'll see in, in every time, you know, whether it's Corvettes, Mustangs, Porsches, Ferraris, whatever, there's always certain models that everybody kind of knows in the mm-hmm. back of their mind are underappreciated. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, man, I just think that car would be worth more. Mm-hmm. And usually, eventually, one day, they take off Mm -hmm. and so whether it's 944 turbos that one day were worth 10 grand and now they're worth 40 grand for collector versions whether it's 914s which everybody thought was the ugliest damn car on the place of the earth and then all of a sudden they've quadrupled in value because Mm -hmm. all of a sudden they're artistic you know right period in time an where yeah. and, and people somehow appreciate the look of it somehow sure. and so that always happens and then you have the flip side where you know three five sixes are obviously a, a iconic porsche car but their buyer base is getting old people are dying cars come on the market they're never going to be cheap but there's more saturation but there's there's saturation there and the big question is, is are younger people interested? Mm-hmm. And are younger people able to get in the market? I mean, that's the big problem I see with Porsche right now is that it used to be, I talk about that 86 Targa, you, you could buy that car for under 20 grand, and that was a 60,000 mile car. That car today is double, maybe two and a half times that, if you can find it. Yeah. If you can find it. In a, in a good quality at least the problem now is with Porsche is what's your entry into the Porsche world well it's not the 911 if it's air, if you're talking air cooled 98 and back if it's it's not the 911 because all those cars are going to be 30 grand and up and anything under 30 grand you don't want I tell people look if you're a guy that can work on it yourself that's one thing but I tell you if you're paying under 20, under 30 grand you don't want that car. My feeling is you you might pay 22, but you're going to put another eight or put, nine in it. You're so. going to be probably more in it than you would have if you bought right. My Weldon, my mentor, said, John, he said, buy mileage, always buy lowest mileage. That always is going to hold the value. And buy the car that's done and ready to go. Mm-hmm. I have tried to prove that wrong periodically. He's still and And I will tell you... Sometimes you buy and you get lucky. Nine times out of ten, you're putting money in the car. Sure. You're taking time, and it's it's time value of money a lot of times in this business because you're going to put – you can't get the car and put it out there on the market in a week. Yeah. 
you're going to spend a month getting the car, getting the car shipped. Yep. Going to be an enclosed carrier. Once you get the car, then you're going to detail the car. You're going to have to fix some things on the car, get the car serviced, put state inspection. Da, 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 sure. Da. Sure. Uh, months, a month has gone by. The margin. Yep. And the problem is, is you're better off to buy the car from the collector that it's done. It comes yep. off the. I've bought cars that literally come off the trailer, come <laughs> in here. I spray a little mist on it, wipe it down. <laughs> it sells in a week. It goes right back, back out on the trailer. trailer. Yep. And, you know, I've state inspected the car. Sure. I've done, you know, some stuff you're required to do, but it's nothing stuff because the guy already took care of it. Well, that axiom definitely holds true. And, you know, we got into some restoration stuff because I can't, you know, we come across some interesting things. You know, this 57A coupe came out of a barn in Danville, Virginia, okay. literally sitting in a barn. And I said, you know what? Where are you going to find an A-coupe? I'm going to be 40 years old. It's my barn find story, quote, unquote. Sure. And those stories are going away. Yes, they are. There ain't a lot of those out there. No. So I said, you know what? I, that's also how you get an education, if you want to learn about these cars, I mean, anybody can read the books. I've got the books. I read them when I was younger. But the only way you're going to learn the ins and outs of these things, literally, is to build one. Mm. And, I mean, it's tedious, it's hard, and it sucks up time and money like you wouldn't believe. So the education, just like college, costs money. Sure. And that 57A coupe I bought probably four years ago. It's been in restoration for three and a half years, and there it is sitting. Sure. It's getting ready to go to the next phase because when you rely on other people in this business, body guys, paint guys, metalwork guys, guys, they all take their time. And if you want the car done in a year – you're going to pay the hundreds of thousands of dollars to get the shop that's got 20 guys that's going to crank that car out in a year. The guys that I have to use, because at the end of the day, what good is it for me to buy a car and then be upside down a hundred grand in it? That, well, that doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't have bought the thing anyway. The column. Yep. So to make that work, I also like to build relationships with the guys out in the local area, the smaller shops. They've got great painters. They're used to painting Bel Airs, and they're used to painting old Corvettes and Mustangs, but you know what? They paint just as good as the guy painting the Duesenberg, yes. okay? And they've probably got more time on the paint gun I was gonna say. than the other guy. Yep. And so they do great jobs, and I've built relationships. Auto Advocates is over in Wardensville, West Virginia. Did the paint on that car. Everybody that's looking at that car said, man, who did the paint on that thing? And you know what? It's some 35-year-old kid over there mm-hmm. who just paints really good. Is that Arctic Silver? What is that? That That is silver metallic okay. of what is close to what you would get for a 57. Originally, it would have been a single-stage paint. And we did a single-stage paint with them and because that technically would have been correct. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't happy with it. Not because the guy couldn't paint it well. It's because single-stage paints notoriously have their downsides of you get one shot. Mm-hmm. And however that shot comes out, that's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And very rarely are you going to find a shop that's going to be able to do a single-stage paint because every little imperfection, you can't sand the car. Yeah. You could sand it paint again, but 
you can't sand it again. I mean, you get orange peel. Everything. You get whatever, whether whatever is in that paint. Sure. You is there, and it's going to be there. Yeah. And if you drive over a bump, a lot of times on these old cars, they flex. So you'll get cracks in the paint. Dude, not a darn thing you do except repaint the whole car. Mm-hmm. We got it back. I said, you know what? If there were three or four little spots on there, because it's a different sheen. Mm-hmm. It will look a little bit duller. Mm-hmm. If you go to a show and you see them all parked side by side, a good somebody knows what they're looking. You can tell the difference between the single stage. It's like I'm, yeah. You can tell it. Like an eggshell finish. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's got a different illumination to it. But at the end of the day, I said, you know what? This car is going to be a driver. Mm-hmm. It's not a show car. I'm buy- I bought this thing. I'm putting, I got, uh, it's silver. It came COA. We found, got, it was silver metallic from the factory with a green interior. Oh, nice. A great period color combo. Fairly hard to find. Most cars, unbeknownst to a lot of people, most 356s were, were not silver. That was not a highly chosen color back then, mm-hmm. as opposed to today, where silver is what everybody buys German cars in. In fit my fifties, oh, you think about you know, silver. So. Silver was a racing color. Sure. So most people who were getting silver, they they were racer people. That's why you see five fifty spiders and nine oh fours and all those early race cars. A lot of them were silver, and some of the GT four cam cars and so forth. But most people buying over, you know, going to dealership, they were buying Signal Red, they were buying yeah. Black, yeah. they were buying regular colors because they people like color yeah. back then. Sure. And you think of what your 1950s and early 60s American counterparts, I mean, they were all colorful cars. Mm-hmm. There weren't a lot of silvers driving around mm-hmm. on Gerald Motors and Ford cars in the 50s yeah. and stuff. They were a lot of other colors. So same, same buyer trends. So I've got... Instead of, I've got all the original seat stuff and everything go in, but I'm putting, I got some real Speedster seats. And so I'm putting some, some real vintage Speedster seats in it. Mm-hmm. I'm putting, um, you know, I got a dual sport muffler to go in the back. That'll be nice. I've got all the stuff that you could have done in period mm-hmm. that I'm just doing. I, I'm deciding not to put the overrider bars, which are the big chrome bars on the front sure. that they had during those couple years in there, because I want to. I'm not. I won't call it an outlaw. Outlaws in Porsche world are, are your hot rod type cars, and outlaws, I typically would say, have an engine modification or something dramatically customized that wouldn't have been mm-hmm. factory. Mm-hmm. Everything I'm doing on this car, you could have gotten from the factory. I mean, if you, if you knew the salesperson and could get in the catalog, I mean, this was all stuff offered. So I'm not doing yeah. a different interior sure. that couldn't have been offered. And, and so it, it'll be a cool car to drive. And, you know, I think it's going to have... I don't even think it's going to have 70 horsepower coming out of this little <laughs> uh, engine, 1600 but it'll sound engine. Good. But it, it's going to be fun. Sure. And one of the interesting things about when I, when we got this car out of the barn, it had a wooden steering wheel on it. Now, originally, the these 356s, they had the white big farmer tractor-type steering wheel on it. What, what, what they, the, the original one is right there in that. Okay. would have been, it's almost like a, what do they call it, Ebonite or okay. something like that. It's yeah. kind of like a plasticky type steering sure. wheel. And they look cool, and they're that 50s look. But this car had a wooden steering wheel on it. And it was had a little engraved Sterling Moss in the oh, steering wow. wheel. So come to find out, it's a Sterling Moss edition uh, less less than steering wheel. Okay. 
which was neat because very rare wheel. I talked to one of my buddies who actually, Louis Hauser, does restorations down in Fairfax, and he's got a steering wheel collection. He's like, oh, man, he said, that steering wheel is really rare. That's probably like a four or $5,000 steering wheel. I sent it off to California, had it refurbished because it was kind of old and crusty, sure. a little delamination stuff going on. Yeah, Looks brand new. It's over there in the case. I'll put that back on there. Love so just, just cool things that you will find on these old cars. But when that car is done, you know, I'll be lucky if I get my money out. You know, I'm doing it because of the story, the the, sure. the fun. Those types of projects you don't take on for the money. Because no. you're not going to make money on them. You're going to get out of it the, the heart and passion you put into sure. it. Of course. And you know what? When it's done, maybe I won't want to sell it. <laughs> maybe I'll want to sell something else instead and just keep that. Right. Because they're getting hard to find. They're just not out there. Yeah. But the 356 buyers are getting older. The early 911 buyers are getting older. Yeah, we're losing them too. There, there are younger people coming in, but I laugh because, you know, the younger guy that's going to buy an early 911 has got to have a couple, I mean, hundreds of thousands. That's some dot-com, I, you know, I work for Apple kind of guy. Yeah, and sold and, my stock options. Yeah, and yeah. They're, they're buying, and they're out there. I've sold to those, you know, those people before, and they're buying, but, you know, there's only so many of them. That's right. You know, Peter and I, we sit here, and the big conversation we have, you know, everybody's going electric, and Porsche's just, you know, come out with the Taycan, and mm-hmm. and they're going the EV route. And it's, you know, look, that's the evolution of cars. They're always on the move. Sure. You're curious. We, we laugh. You know, is the millennial buyer going to care? You know, I, I look at the future is coming from the dealership world prior to this and new cars. I mean, I really believe that in the next, it's only a matter of time, could be in the next five, ten years, the dealership model is such that unless you're the, the Fortune 500 company, the Penske's, Auto Nations, Sonic groups that have 100 dealerships or more, yep. You're getting bought up. You're you you can't afford to be in the business. Look at Carvana. I mean, that's becoming it's like the Uber Eats of exactly. car buying. And then you talk about ride sharing. You talk about will will we get to a point where anybody even really owns their car, right. or is it going to be like your phone? Sure. You know, I'm going to who who do you who is your phone through? Well, it's through Verizon Wireless. Well, who's your car. subscription through your car? Yep. Yep. Is it through Porsche? Is it through exactly. Hertz? I have an enterprise on my subscription. Exactly. Yep. And and you want the latest subscription, you get the sure. latest EV car. Yep. And at some point that's what it probably will be at which point, you know, what is this business? Well, mm-hmm. the enthusiast business will continue to exist it'll get harder to exist in business wise Mm -hmm. but it will continue to exist because there will always be the enthusiast that wants the experience there's the difference between i need transportation yes i need to get to the grocery store that's a different buyer before but but besides the guy that i want to experience the 427 cobra yeah wailing at you know 5,000 rpms and 90 decibels yeah down the road and burn my ankle on the (laughs) exhaust pipe getting out i want that experience right and and that's that's the difference there will be those you know it's like who some people still have a boat some people have a 
airplane. Sure. They cost money, and there's not as many of them. You know, the horse and carriage went away, but you know what? There's still people that ride horses, mm-hmm. and they have big mm-hmm. fancy barns. with. Mm-hmm. And so that might be what it is. By the time I'm 70 years old, mm-hmm. it might be, you know what, only only wealthy people with quote-unquote stables mm-hmm. have some of these cars. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it'll be that soon because Americans love automobiles, mm-hmm. and they love the freedom, and they love the hair blowing in sure. the wind. Sure. And it's it's going to be a thing that's hard to kill. You know, Europe usually can sometimes can be a window into the future. Mm-hmm. They're much more environmentally, you know, looking at things. And they're small little cities. They don't want the smog stuff and right. old cars. They some you know they're they're a little bit ahead and they're starting to lay out laws and things to try to organize that well the cost of a liter world. of petrol is, and uh, that's a whole other man yeah. you know if you're pay twelve dollars a gallon mm-hmm. for for fuel mm-hmm. you're gonna drive your car a little bit different yes so some of these cars we have you know their artwork is somebody going to drive it they're perfectly drivable you're afraid you know somebody on their phone's going to run into you or sure. you know grandma's going to spit gravel up at your <laughs> hood and so that stuff can happen so some of these cars that sit in here, they might go the next 30 years and be driven 100 miles. Mm. And some of them might be driven 50,000 miles. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on what the buyer ultimately in the future values these things at. It's, it's going to be a brave new world. We're, we're definitely at a chapter in the automotive world where... At where we live right now, I mean, we we had a we bought a brand new Dodge Demon just for the fun of it. Okay, that's that's not Porsche at all. But you know what? I'm like, man, that's a special car. Yeah. Where else are you gonna find 800 plus horsepower for under a half a million dollars or more? Really, a yeah. million dollars? Right, right. That car has got power that's accessible to anybody off the street. They might kill themselves in it. Sure. And you guys, I remember we signed all them waivers, and it was like three pages of waivers were initial this, initial that. Yeah. And it was it was a cool car to have for a while. And that car won't, that car is not going to be built ever again no. on the face of the earth. No. That time has gone. Yeah. Just like the original, you know, yeah, you could go buy a super performance 427 Cobra. We had we sold one of the continuation series Cobras for from Shelby. Went to Europe of all places to a guy in Belgium. Supposedly there's a hundred plus Cobra uh, club of cars in Belgium of all places. But and you know so kit cars and replica cars might start to come back more because of it. But you know you can't build those cars anymore. They're half of them are death traps. And you wonder how in the world people drove those things all out in racing conditions sure. back then. Sure. But they're gone. And so if somebody wants to experience that, just like they want to experience a Vincent Black Shadow motorcycle, <laughs> then you're going to have to buy a Vincent Black Shadow motorcycle. Sure. Because they're gone. Right. And that's what it's come down to. This GT2 RS sitting here. That's my favorite. It's a special car. We bought this car new. Still has 15 miles on it. Oh. Bought it for our collection. Uh, bought it through Porsche Tyson's Corner. Took about three years to buy. Had the deposit down for that long. Paint the sample in Zanzibar red 
metallic I pearl love coat. It. Love it. Uh, an early 2000s Porsche color. Porsche, they, they no way to prove it for sure because they won't tell you anymore, but virtually sure because at least the North America uh, exclusives people says only one painted in that color in the world as far as they know. We were very happy and it, we were lucky to be able to get an interior to sample in this car. You know, almost every single one of them on the face of the earth has a black interior. Either, let, you know, mostly Alcantara suede on them. Mm -hmm. And the seats, this one we did in cognac. And you get into, you know, there's exclusive options in the Porsche world that you'll see through your Porsche dealer and they have the little exclusives logo. And then there's truly exclusive special wishes options that are not on any menu there's no catalog there's nothing that exists out there that will tell you right and we worked with one of the, the ladies through atlanta where headquarters is for north america and we worked for months six months nine months i don't even remember it was a long time working on some of these special wishes one-off options for this car that literally go through a process where you say, okay, I want cognac carbon fiber racing seats. And they have to go back, do feasibility studies. Okay, well, this and that. And they have to go back to the Germans at the factory and determine whether or not they can do it. There are certain things on these cars, excuse me, because some of these parts are, you know, half the darn car is carbon fiber. Right. You have to find out, okay, well, Zanzibar red metallic pearl coat well that was a 2001 to 2002 color will, will that carbon. will that paint even stick to this sure, stuff yeah. now most of their stuff they have a they have a paint to sample list which paint to sample in partial world theoretically means they painted any color on the face of the earth in it within the rainbow of colors okay. in reality paint to sample means okay we'll paint something that has gone through the feasibility study we know we'll adhere to, in certain colors they block out. So there are colors they'll say, no, we're not going to paint a 911. We'll paint a Boxster. We'll paint a Macan. Mm -hmm. But there's certain colors that you can't do. Mm -hmm. And there's certain colors that are from other manufacturers that they won't do, obviously, for trademark reasons, stuff like that. But they find out it goes through a long process. And if you say, okay, I want cognac leather on my seats, we did cognac because cognac was in the available menu options on other 911s. If I had said, well, I want to do purple leather seats, mm -hmm. and they did magenta, I mean, they had mm -hmm. purple leather seats in Porsches before, mm -hmm. but it's not currently in the menu. That that would cost over $20,000 wow. on top of the cost to do the seat, just because they have to then go to a supplier, they have to have the leather dyed, feasibility stuff i mean it's just it's oh, you're literally yeah. coach building a car yes. because this leather already exists in their menu those seats alone cost over probably near ten thousand dollars just for seats because you you say well i want that seat but you know what i know just from what i've seen there are less than five cars in the world that have seats other than black in them so you're paying for exclusivity and honestly, I did it because I wanted the car to look good. And on Zanzibar Red Metallic, I thought cognac 
looked better. You needed a rich natural leather inside. And then they did all the stitching. The car probably has almost $10,000 in stitching. Okay, because they stitched the dash, dash in a cognac thread to contrast it. All the door panels. I notice it ties all together. All of it ties together. And their exclusives department specialists do a fabulous job of curating these cars because they know, yes. they know these cars are going to be cared for and they're going to be around. Mm -hmm. And they want these cars to represent the Porsche mark for decades to come. Yeah. And so they will say, you know what, we suggest this, we suggest that. And you can decline it, but usually their ideas are, are the idea to go with. I mean, even small things, not everything costs thousands of dollars either. If you see this car, you'll look on the top of the spoiler. It's a carbon fiber, big spoiler that. in the back. Most of them all came with Porsche script written in black. It's black on black carbon fiber. It's there on most cars, but the average person, especially if the car's moving, you're not going to see that. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of the uh, former RS, modern RS Porsches, had uh, Porsche script in a color, whether on the fenders, could be on the side, or on the spoiler. Well, on this spoiler, I said, well, why, you know, we have the magnesium racing wheels that were part of the Visoc package, and... I said, why don't we do white gold Porsche script on the spoiler to match that? Mm -hmm. And the lady said, we just happen to have a 3M. It's just 3M tape, $600 to change that. Wow. That's all. Okay. But you know what? Makes My difference. car is one of uh, maybe a handful full that has a different color. It, it's. I noticed as soon as I walked after yeah, the car. They're very, there are very small things, and there are very large things. I, mean, I know people who have gotten options on these cars that cost $50,000 wow. for an option, okay? Because they're the only one in the world that's going to have that. And they'll do it. If you're if you're a buyer that, that you know, they get a lot into it. They don't want you buying these things and flipping them. No. And, no. you know, this car isn't for sale. It's very I don't, bespoke. I mean, I, exactly. I don't have this car for sale. It's on our website just so people can see it. But yeah. I, I'll, I'll keep this car for 20 years. Of course. And, and hope to show it at some point. The effort you put into it. And because exactly, I, I, you spend years getting these things. And some people would say, well, they're, but they're meant to be driven. Yes, they are meant to be driven. And there will be a thousand plus cars out there that will be driven. Mm -hmm. But then there will be some fine examples mm -hmm. that are kept mm -hmm. for the ages mm -hmm. for historical purposes mm -hmm. so that people one day, our grandkids, yep. they'll be able to see the finest examples of these cars. And that, you know, not everybody can do that. For one, not everybody can afford by far a $300,000 plus car. No. That's, that's in its own stratosphere. We're blessed to be able to do that. But then to be able to add another $100,000 plus options on the car, you're making your car truly special. The wheels on it, again, I mentioned they're magnesium racing wheels. They're, they're $40,000, $50,000 for a set of wheels. I mean, one of the reasons I, I tell people, you know, look, I don't drive the car because, heck, you curb one of these wheels. Oh. They, you can't even buy just one. They won't sell just one. Wow. It'd be like $12,000 for a wheel. You have to buy the whole set. Oh well, you better hope you don't have something happen to it. And there's guys take these to the tracks, and they drive the heck out of them, and that's great. And they love it, just like people fly airplanes and they take expensive yachts out in the ocean. Sure, sure. Me, I know my limitations. Yep. This car is a missile. 
When we bought it, we did the factory delivery from the headquarters in Atlanta. A wonderful adventure. I, I tell anybody, if you're ever buying a new Porsche, it can be an SUV, it can be a Boxster, any of them. You have the option to click that box for most of them are less than $1,000. This was, I believe, $1,000 to do the, the delivery down there. It's worth every penny. Why? You got to go there, get a tour, personalized tour of the whole place, headquarters, their museum, lunch at their finest restaurant. You get to do the whole thing. And then most importantly of all, I got to spend an hour and a half driving their GT2 RS around their track at Atlanta headquarters. And, you know, my car was detailed by them there. So, you know, a lot of people are like, I don't want the the 12-year-old kid in the detailing bay touching my GT2 RS. They have their factory people there at headquarters in Atlanta. They know how to detail the car. They they deliver this car museum quality, and you're going to get that. And they give you a whole, like, CD, all the special little details that will sure. over here in a glass case uh, on display. But driving this car, I mean, this car is literally like having launch control at your fingertips 24-7, anytime you want it. There's no process. I mean, it's got launch control, but I mean, just regularly driving. You push on that gas, I mean, you better be sure where you're pointing that car because it's going and it's going fast. Well, I've read that it's basically like an extension of you like it oh yeah it handles and, and it just it will do anything it, you exactly. want and if you don't it's mean like it it'll do it anyway yeah, yeah and i mean this car you would hit the straightaway and the and the instructor there kyle great instructor one of their top instructors down there he would say punch it <laughs> and i mean you'd punch it and that car i've been in a lot of cars that PDK go fast PDK, eight, eight speed or seven seven speeds seven. on it, if I recall correctly, uh-huh. and I mean the car rockets down. You, you just and I will tell you the story. I mean this car, it's real wheel drive, seven hundred horsepower, and you're going around that track, and I'm lapping turbos. Okay, I, I'm lapping regular nine elevens and stuff. And they're, they're getting out of the way just because they see me coming. And I go around. This isn't even really a turn. It's like a maybe at best a 20-degree turn kind of coasting off. It had rained the day before, and there was some water running across the track that had not dried. Okay. And I punched it as I'm going around this, and I hit that spot. And no joke, this car hit that water. And I'm talking 90-degree turn, sliding, out of control, correct, 90-degree turn completely the other way. I'm fishtailing back and forth. Literally, I'm, I'm looking out my at window speed, yeah. I, at speed. This is 70-plus miles per hour. And at that track, anybody that's been to the Porsche headquarters, that track, it's not a track like VIR or Summit Point. Mm-hmm. It's not a racetrack. It's a simulation track. It's mm-hmm. a test track. Mm-hmm. Right there, I mean, you could see it if you're flying in on an airplane. It's right up against the runway. And it's designed for teaching people. So you're, and it's good that it's not a full track because if you were able to get this car up to full speed, I mean, you'd crash it 
people would kill themselves. Sure. So this track, I mean, you may get 100 miles per hour. But the metal barricades are literally two feet from the side of the road. <laughs> so if you lose control, when you drive – if I crash this thing, my insurance company is going to be paying for, the, for it. Yeah. I took that thing sideways back and forth, and it eventually leveled out. And and it, if you can wield it, it's like trying to wield a ginormous two-handed sword. If you can wield it, it is deadly. Oh but if you can't wield it, you're likely to cut your own arm or leg off. Right, right. Okay? <laughs> and I learned there it teaches you a great respect. And we kept on driving for another 45 minutes after that. But, I mean, you... If you mess up one-tenth of a second in that car, you're toast. You're gone. Mm -hmm. And I won't say who it was. The dealership I bought it from had sold one to a a well-known, famous NASCAR driver that everybody on the – I don't even watch NASCAR, and I know who he is. Okay. He wrecked it in 18 miles. Okay? Wow. Wrecked his GT2 RS in 18 miles. It's it's a real deal car. I mean, race car drivers, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah. there's a handful of people in the world that can truly wield that car to its full capacity sure. around any track. Everyone else like us, they're going to crash it. Yeah. At some point, it's, a, it's Russian roulette. It's a matter of time. Yeah. So it's a beautiful car. It is. It's, it's the pinnacle stunning. of Porsche right now. Yeah. And... They don't make GT2 RSs very often. The next supercar will likely be an EV, an electric car. So it may very likely be the last great gas-powered Porsche. 911 most likely for sure. sure. I just think the next RSs and so forth, they're the only way they can get more power. I mean, what are you going to do, a 1,000 horsepower GT2 R? They'll be able to do that with electric. And you know what? It will perform better. Of course. It won't sound better. It won't be visceral, though. It won't give you the same experience. Mm-hmm. Just like these older 911s, they can't go. Your Honda Civic can go faster than them, okay? Mm-hmm. They're not fast cars. Mm-hmm. They're fast for the experience. You could take that 80s 911 out, and when you're going 55 miles an hour, you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour sure. because there's no power steering. The sound, that the flat wind. Six is working. It, exactly. It doesn't have the modern amenities well, and the modern electronics. From all of it. That's exactly. Something. You're in it. Yeah. And that's an experience yes, you don't is. get anymore yes, in cars. So if you want that experience, you got to go find it in these old cars, whether it's an old Corvette, Mustang, yep. uh, European car, British. Some people like British cars. I stay away from them, they leak too much. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there's something out there for everybody. Absolutely. Well, John, I really appreciate it. And I know you got your cars and coffee starting. So maybe tell my listeners a little bit about how to find you on the Internet. Sure. And uh, just your Tru- website. Trubin oh. Motor Company is here in Winchester, Virginia. We're about a mile off of Interstate 81, Jubilee Drive, which is also Route 50. And all indoors, everything's inside. You come 300 65 days a year Mm. and you could be warm inside (laughs) and basically our website you can just google trubin motors trubin motor company any of them i mean where you're gonna find us and uh you know we we invite anybody come by even if you're not a porsche person come on by because chances are we got other stuff too and you can look around at all the 
historical signs, different little neat parts. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, we're going to take photos and you, put it out on you, our Instagram. Usually meet, you'll meet some interesting people. We get a lot of people in here with a lot of cool historical stories. Ever have an albino parakeet? That's the last one I've seen outside of maybe a zoo somewhere. They're 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 out there, and they're buying. They're always buying. That's right. Look at their shoes. Look at their shoes. They got the alligator shoes and the albino parakeet. Chances are they're buyers. So, well, John, thank you. Thank so you much. for coming. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Well, welcome back to Studio A here in Carlisle. Uh, really had such a fun time learning more and more about uh, Porsches and spending time with John and and team there. So thank you to him, thank you to his wife. We gratefully uh, look forward to coming back for future Cars and Coffee and some other events and, and glad to have them as friends of the Cars of Carlisle family. So for now, I'll simply say drive well, be well, and take care. <laughs>